Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissue. Your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Stephen. And I'm Anoush. And on this week's New Station podcast... We discuss the Conservative Manifesto. We're joined by Patrick Alva and our Anthony Howard scholar George Grills to discuss the election in Wales. And we talk about Jeremy Corbyn's intervention about the NHS and the UK-US trade deal. So the big story this week, for a given value of the word big, is the Conservatives' manifesto being put forward at last, done on a Sunday in order to... Well, I was actually done on a Sunday in order to minimise the level of scrutiny, but actually... They wanted more eyes on it. Yeah. They wanted... Because that's the most watched news bulletin of the week, the Sunday night news bulletins, because you have people lying in front of their telly watching whatever Harry Potter is on ITV2 or whatever Bond is on ITV3. Don't know what they show on ITV4 these days. Uh... You know, Serbian. Maybe you're not watching his dark material. Serbian. Well, that shows you how often I watch terrestrial television. Yeah. Yes, they wanted they wanted eyes on it. Their core demographics eyes. Yeah, I did a um, I did a radio thing that night, and one of the um, Tory uh, cabinet ministers who was on there was saying exactly that. Like, you can brief the Sunday papers with the initial lines, so that everyone's reading about it in the day, and then they can sort of see the clips from the actual launch in the sort of evening news. So all of this narrative, which maybe our listeners may not have picked up, but has been sort of the accepted truth of the Conservative manifesto that it was sort of a safety first one, pared down, which they didn't really want people to. To make that much fanfare about because of what happened last time round, kind of jars with with what you've just said, Patrick, and what which I, I, the intention of your manifesto, the intended message, you know, it was clearly pitched as a yeah. Know, as, Steve, as Stephen wrote the morning after, like the, there's a difference between saying it's a safety first pitch and the content being safety first. That is the you know the, the game of sleight of hand is that hey look actually we are not proposing any sweeping cuts to tax or to spending actually we're just there's a modest increase in spending you know we're not upsetting the horses you know there's no massive radical change to the economy here guys not unlike Labour nationalising your granny but then obviously as, as, as Stephen has written several times something can't be safety first as much as you're saying it's safety first and the way you're presenting it is safety first if the, the biggest policy in it is a short sharp dislocation from the EU and the economic model we've enjoyed for the past five decades. Yeah. 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 To me, the wildest thing, which I think is primarily, actually, I think, a, a, a media, particularly a, a failure of our hegemonic broadcasters, BBC, to in any way explain adequately than, and I know I've said this before, but I just think it bears repeating, right? Both major parties are planning to upend our economic model. Now, yes, it's true that Labour believes 
perhaps wrongly, that their interests are served by going, we're really radical. And the Conservatives believe their interests are served, perhaps wrongly, by going, we're really boring. But our job isn't just to go, they say they're really radical and here's their radical manifesto, and they say they're boring, here's their boring manifesto. But to point out... Yeah, I mean, when on Sunday I tweeted, God, the Conservative Manifesto is, you know, quite rubbish, you know, from a, not just from a left perspective, from a, if you want a transformative right-wing government, if you want yeah. principles of good governance, from a centre mm-hmm. yeah, it and someone went, but, you know, at least it stops Corbyn and his Marxists overturning our our economy. And I was just like, look, if you if you want to keep our economic model, you really have got to vote Lib Dem. <laughs> yeah, like, that's that's the lever you put, yeah, like, and, you know, the number of kind of people, including, I mean, that person, yeah, I obviously, you know, when someone uses the word Marxist in whatever direction, they're very clearly party pre. But, like, I was really astonished at the number of people who basically went, but, you know, the point is this is a, a safe manifesto that won't change our economic model. It's just like, it's it's really not. And mm. I think that has been obviously the big success of the Conservatives, big failure of the media. But I also think it is the inevitable outgrowth of the fact there is no soft Brexit option on the ballot in this election. Right. There's a remain option in the shape of Labour. De facto, right, if you have a second referendum, you are a remain option. There's a nominally even more remain option, even though we all know the Lib Dems aren't going to win a majority with their revoked position. What there is no other viable lever is a soft Brexit, which means that instead of people going, and here's what the Conservative Brexit model means, it's basically like Brexit and no Brexit. Yeah, Mm. which means it doesn't really get analysed for what it is. But I think even if you discount what they want to do with Brexit, I still think the manifesto is a big statement of intent, isn't it? Because they've got some spending promises, but not at all anything that links to the rhetoric that Boris Johnson has been using for a while about turning the taps back on. And all of that undermined by the triple tax lock, which means that they're tying their hands basically by not wanting to, by promising not to raise any taxes in the next parliament. And we saw you know, how that played out in 2015 when there was a similar restriction with David Cameron's majority government. So, I mean, that's a big statement of intent. Yes, it's sort of business as usual, but business as usual is is a massive underfunding of our public services. And that is a complete departure from from what we've been hearing. Actually, even from previous, before Sajid Javid and and Boris Johnson, we were hearing from Theresa May and Philip Hammond as well that the age of austerity is over, and it, it clearly isn't. Some of the effects have only just begun. It's interesting in that very in a very narrow, given that, you know, the the triple lock and all, all, all those promises do hold the rhetoric below the waterline, as you say, in a very narrow electoral respect, it is a safety first manifesto. If you mm-hmm. say, what mm-hmm. is what is the point of this manifesto? Well, it's to get a conservative majority over the line and you're not considering what comes after, as you wrote in the, the email the morning after, an election that will win you an election and enable you to govern on the mandate that election has given you are two very different things. Yes, this is a manifesto laboratory grown to appeal and energise what you might roughly call the Tory core vote, be that demographically in terms of age or demographically in terms of leave voting and where it is in the country now. But, you know, you have to use that as a programme to govern or not. And as you said, it's not immediately clear that they can carry that through. It's actually because one one of the the really interesting long-term successes of Theresa May's political spinning is that almost everyone seems to have believed, right down to Remainers, who all of the evidence we have is they did not vote Labour because they wanted to remain. Yeah, it's one of those fascinating things. You look at what they told Bears, and that's not why they did it. You talk to them now, and they clearly believe that's why they did it. She did not call that election because she was being frustrated over Brexit. She called that election because she was unable to get a budget through, and it became very obvious that the triple lock 
you know, no income taxes, no NI, no VAT was just impossible to govern with. But because everyone uh, across politics has accepted that the last election was about Brexit when it very much wasn't, you have this weird situation where the Conservative Party going, oh, shall we get back in that straitjacket? Mm. That was a great time. We had a great, we had a bunch of laughs. Um, <laughs> but I also think on that point you and Anush were making about how the question is, you know, whether to have Brexit or not, and there's no soft Brexit on the table. It means that we have this election where the like the main policy on the table, which is Boris Johnson's Brexit deal, is basically not getting any scrutiny because it's not in Labour's interests to have an election fought over Brexit. So it's not as though like the public's understanding of the offer is improving, which is so damaging because, I mean, I think probably we know that Boris Johnson called the election at that point because he anticipated that the more scrutiny his deal received, the more he would lose support on both sides, lose support from Labour MPs and then also on the other side from ERG MPs. But when this happens, you know, if, you know, as looks likely he's going to get a majority, then when that scrutiny happens, there'll be there'll be no space for a democratic input into that. That's true because they'll have the mandate yeah. to pass yeah. it, won't they? The most significant event in this campaign so far, I think... And obviously this might combust upon contact with the new parliament or, as Elvis says, when you know they have another chance to look at, at every dot and comma, um, mm. is the pledge from all 635 or 634, I think 635, readers get in touch, listeners. Although I'd like the idea of someone listening to a transcript of this um, <laughs> available in your local library in, in large print. Well, they wouldn't write all of the you knows and the sort ofs. Stephen and I got like a hands, email from like someone who was very cross about that. Like hands <laughs> hard, you know, every Conservative candidate from... Steve Baker to, God, all the remainders have left, so it's actually quite hard to find an example on the other side now. Steve Baker to... Steve Bryan. Steve Bryan. Has he... Has he qu- no, Steve Bryan's no, signing again. No, he's still candidate Manchester. Mm. Oh, good on Steve. From st- Steve Baker to Steve Bryan have signed up to back Stevie this deal. <laughs> have signed up to back this deal. And let's let's talk a bit about why that's significant, because I feel that having subjected listeners to a five-minute thing about the architecture <laughs> of the Tory party. Um, yeah, so why is that significant? Uh, because that, that means they're, they're all going to vote for it. Mm. Does it? Yeah. Uh, the thing is, right, is I guess I'm still haunted by the um, December agreement, right, where a handful of people, including most people in this room, when you know that you've just agreed to quite a high degree of regulatory and customs alignment, and lots of people went, no, we haven't. It's a great deal. As Bernard be- Jenkins said, I don't need to read it to know that it's a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> I am still not convinced, right? Because, I mean, I'm not convinced that if you win a mandate without it being scrutinised, then it necessarily does hold, particularly because, right, regardless of what the result is, if there is a Conservative victory, a non-trivial number of people will think it was about the Labour Party. So I'm I'm not sold on the idea that that pledge means very much, but we should talk about that and pledges more later on in the episode. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
So now it's time for a section we like to call... You Ask Us. And we're joined, so as you will notice, Alva's voice has changed. We're joined by George <laughs> Grills, our Anthony Howard scholar. Hello. Because this question is essentially, I'm paraphrasing because lots of you have asked this. Thank you very much for your section on Northern Ireland. What is going to happen in Wales in this general election? So I as well as being continue to be joined by, by Patrick and of course Anush and I are still here. George, you have been like our main sort of Wales visitor this election. What the Welsh you... correspondent. Yeah, I did two separate trips to Wales. I did one to uh, North Wales and one to South Wales. And so for... one to Wales and one to England. One to Wales and one to England. <laughs> That's what you quickly learn if you're an Englishman going to Wales, that actually North Wales is very different and they really hate South Wales and vice versa. Anyway, North Wales is at the very end of the so-called Red Wall. I know we've got criticism as, as journalists for calling it the Red Wall. But at the very end is the Vale of Clud, which is a marginal constituency, has been Tory since 2015, was Labour from 1997 until then. So it's it switched hands back and forth and then went back to Labour again in 2017. So a lot of change there, a lot of anger there as well. Unsurprisingly, you find a lot of voters who are disillusioned and mostly those disillusioned voters are Labour voters. The irony in Rill, which is the main settlement in, in the Vale of Clude, is that it has received a disproportionate amount of EU funding. So there's an argument that the only reason the town is actually there is because of EU funding, because um, they had terrible floods a few years ago, and the EU came in and, and helped contribute to build their flood defences. So it's, it's pretty desperately sad. I had one re- very revealing conversation with Chris Rain, who is the um, Labour MP and a Labour supporter on the doorstep there. And this Labour supporter was a union member, worked in the post office. He was basically saying that he wasn't going to go out and vote because of Labour's stance on Brexit. And Chris was trying to make the argument that the EU had done a lot of structural good for North Wales, and, and rightly so. I think they've put in roughly £9 billion to Wales, across the country, and particularly in North Wales. And the constituent, who was quite proud of the changes that had happened in Rill, whether that be um, the theatre, the flood defences, funding for sort of young people to um, get extra training to go in and start their own businesses, he, he was totally unaware of all these structural funds. And Chris, who has been a strong advocate for EU funding in Wales and a good voice for his constituents, not only in Westminster, but also, more importantly, almost in Brussels, was kind of crestfallen when he realised that this constituent who was proud of the changes that happened in Rill had no idea that a lot of the funding had come from the EU. And and this was replicated not only there, but also in Wrexham, another constituency I went to. So I think the picture in North Wales is looking, in summary, pretty bleak for the Labour Party. Wrexham is a seat that has never, never gone Tory. And you found, even in Kyre Park, one of the most deprived wards in the whole of Wales, Clyde, former mining village. These are strong Labour areas, culturally as well as politically, Labour clubs. And you find people voting Tory, as well as Labour voters not voting. The thing is, notwithstanding places like Wrexham, which, you know, if, as you say, if places like Wrexham go blue, that is like, a real watershed moment. It's mm. a realigning moment. It's it's cultural ties breaking. I had the, I had a similar conversation about 
just after the election was called with but a, equally it's quite a small majority right yeah yeah, yeah. It's, i mean it's it's like a watershed moment in like you know like when they discontinue the speaking clock yeah nobody was n- using the speaking <laughs> clock but like it's something like oh no or like you know they've discontinued making the game boy advance right that nobody was using it or fewer and fewer being sold doesn't change the fact that it's like symbol worth, of change yeah. worth doffing your cap mm. to but the thing is i had this conversation with a labor front bencher from that side of offers dyke god that's such a weird <laughs> way that's journalese elegant variation you know fourth mention <laughs> you know the the, the cambrian <laughs> spoke uh, labor spokesperson in which he was saying actually the election result you need to look at one needs to look at to get a a more proportionate handle on this is 83 where the tories won 14 seats in wales and if you look at the map actually much of the you know soy disant red wall is solidly blue so actually like in the same way incidentally the ashfield and workington two seats which are constantly held up as oh god if if they vote tory in ashfield then you know pigs will start flying and the moon will turn god the moon is red sometimes god my metaphors are all over the place the moon will actually be made of cheese those are seats that have elected Tory MPs in the you know recent years past. I think my favourite example of this is Wirral South. Yeah. I can't remember which journalist also tweeted, I'm in the Red Wall, a.k.a. Wirral South. It's just like, a safe Tory seat <laughs> until 1997. <laughs> I mean, that's like, what, is Exeter in the Red Wall now? It's just like one of those things where it's just like... I mean, I think the other thing which is, of course, significant in this election, and it speaks to partly I think you're saying about, but these are towns which have hugely benefited from EU funding, is there was a conscious political choice over a long period of time. And I'm going to compare two places, which obviously the place we often talk about in terms of it being odd from a Remain Leave perspective is Liverpool, which ought not to have voted to Remain, but did quite largely. Because in Liverpool, various senior politicians in the Liverpool Labour Party for a long period of time made a conscious point of going, the EU working with your Labour Council has done X. Whereas... The Welsh Labour government made a conscious decision, even though they actually are, you know, not not because they're secret Brexiteers, but they made a conscious decision that they wanted to go, Welsh Labour is doing X. Yeah. And then because Eurosceptic attitudes went unchallenged for so long, in 2016, Carwin Jones made an active decision not to talk about Europe until after the Welsh elections had happened which meant that you basically had the day after May 5th or whatever it was, they were like, so you know those things that we were saying (laughs) we did that you should re-elect us for? Actually, that was the EU, so vote Remain. Which which is interesting because the the intellectual architect of that policy of clear red water, Mark Drakeford, Rodri Morgan's brain, is now the First Minister of the Labour Party, leader of the Welsh Labour Party, is now leading the Labour Party in Wales. He listens to this podcast, actually. He's leading Labour Party in Wales into, uh, if, if you want to pick up your argument, Stephen, a perfect storm in which actually the the consequences of that for political discourse it, of creating a sort of Wales-only polity might come back to bite Welsh Labour, actually. But as we speak, they've tipped back up in the polls. But who knows? It's very useful, I must say, wherever you go in Wales, for Tories to criticise the Welsh government Mm. in Cardiff. And as much as Welsh Labour politicians talk about the cuts, and rightfully so when when you visit these places, the Tories can just say, oh, well, you're in charge in Cardiff. Most of these issues are devolved. Therefore, it's your fault. I'm a, still a huge defender of the clear red water thing. Not not actually, to be honest, so much from this idea of, oh, is Wales being significantly to the left of England. But I think it's such an important shield against Plaid Cymru for them. It's not the only reason why the SNP has been significantly more successful. But I think one of them is the, the kind of distinctiveness. It's effectively a way of going without... Essentially, the Welsh Labour Party has managed to 
get the votes of people who are either themselves English immigrants or people who are married or friends with English immigrants in Cardiff have managed to get those people to support them and people like that, yeah, commuting, yeah, kind of Swansea commuters to support them, while also getting people who are Welsh language speakers, proudly Welsh, yeah, the kind of people. I remember 2015 election when I was kind of doing most of the Welsh beat. I can't remember which bit of North Wales it was, and they went, "Oh, you know, how long have you been down?" And I said, "Oh, you know, a couple of days. You know, I spent two days in Cardiff, and I'm here." And they said, and "They were like, so you spent one day in Wales?" <laughs> but this person was voting for the Welsh Labour Party because, and the fact we all do it without quite registering yeah. we're doing the, the it. Welsh Labour the Party. Welsh Labour Party mm. yeah. and I think the clear red water was so important to that is it starting to break down I think this is where the where Corbyn is a big problem for the Welsh Labour Party before you get into the question of his popularity or lack thereof is just that it's impossible to be coherently a I am explicitly to the left of Jeremy Corbyn mm. um, when the Labour Party is led in England by Jeremy Corbyn and because Mark Drakeford it's like was a Corbynite before Corbynites existed. He can't really plausibly go. Actually, I'm to the right of. So whatever they're going to need a, dis- a new distinctive identity. I just think Clear Red Water, as brilliant as it was, is, is a, a dead political position. Huh? Was, well, in terms of clear identity and who is the voice of Welsh Labour, it was surprising that they had Nick Thomas Simmons represent them in those Welsh. TV debates because he isn't actually the Minister for Wales or the Shadow Minister for Wales and was kind of drafted in last last minute, very capable MP. But they don't seem to have... Mark Drayford is obviously the leader, but they don't seem to know who is their best voice to stand up for Wales. Like Carolyn Harris appears a lot on the airwaves as well, but there's no one voice. The, tr- the tricky thing for Mark Drayford, it's easy to forget during this campaign, I say this as someone not complaining, who's just had their interview with Mark Drakeford rescheduled, <laughs> is that actually you've got to balance the job of running a devolved administration with running a national campaign. Like, you know, there is still, as much as we think Westminster is the only legislature that matters, Quite a, you know, a full programme of government business in Cardiff Bay that you have to juggle with. Yeah, they're banning smacking. I'm really fascinated by that because, yeah, obviously, like being a wet liberal, I hugely support them banning smacking, but I really cannot work out the case and that's devolved. Like, you know, when you're just like, <laughs> how have you managed to like swing that? But, you know, fair play to them. So we're past the halfway point of the election campaign, though it may not feel it to everyone in this room who <laughs> is working very hard but also looks very tired. So oh, the big thing that's no offense, the big thing that's come out this week today at the time of recording is Jeremy Corbyn's made a big sort of intervention on the NHS, brandishing these papers from exploratory talks between officials in the UK and the US over trade talks for the trade deal, which include references to the NHS and to drug patents. Now, this is the big Labour attack line, which they've been you know, running on for a while since there was a Channel 4 dispatches about this, this scandal, which could potentially mean that our health service is on the table for, for the US if we want to make any kind of meaningful trade deal with them after Brexit. So... Alva, you wrote about this. Mm-hmm. What, what do you make of it? You know, honestly, the first thing I made of it was quite how complicated nearly 500 pages of um, <laughs> exploratory talks about trade really are. I had a real sense that 
I went to the press conference where Jeremy Corbyn announced that. I just felt, had a real feeling that I and all of the um, <laughs> journalists around me were kind of ill-equipped to do a fast analysis of this quite dense document mm. or this series of dense documents. And so it was quite easy for Labour to put their spin on it because I, I really there were certain aspects that the lobby were taking on trust because they were only just seeing it. So I think it'll be more significant over the coming days when the detail is fully explored. Because I suppose it's kind of no surprise that US drugs companies want access to this market. I think probably the most interesting contribution to the discussion so far has been Stevens, which is sort of making the obvious point that, I mean, obviously the the conservatives plan on i mean maybe i should just let you make your own point that piece was very it's useful always yeah. ni- so it's always nice to yeah don't worry <laughs> the, the check is in the post um, <laughs> well i think i did have the advantage because i didn't have to turn up to the thing will be and so i could just sit at home reading it yeah. you know in my own time yeah i mean i think in an odd way right the, it's like a fascinating example of like the problem with political theater right mm-hmm. in the, the document doesn't say what labor are suggesting it does right there is no point in it in which which the they like everyone you know in which like there's the minutes of a meeting in which someone goes by the way we're going to sell bits of the nhs however mm. just from a like policy perspective right if you want a deep and meaningful us uk trade deal then the two things the conservatives have repeatedly promised will not be on the table the nhs and agri-food have got to be on the table yeah and it's one of these things actually there are, there are two there are two ways around that neither of which actually I think reflect well on the Conservatives' Brexit approach and, as importantly, our collective as an industry scrutiny of that, which is either you take the Conservative promises at face value, which actually I do, not because I think that they're, like, super trustworthy, but because the reason why they keep saying they won't do it is they're politically toxic. And, and, so, they, and so they won't negotiate yeah. an FTA with the US. Yeah, yeah, this thing, yeah, ultimately what that means is they will not, you know, they might have, like, a piece of paper which you, when you look at the detail means that an NFL team opens somewhere in the United Kingdom, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. However, the reason why we are leaving the customs union and single market, which has huge implications for the actually existing British economy, is this idea that we will sign deep and meaningful trade deals with other countries. Well, if we're going into these trade deals saying no agriculture, no NHS, essentially saying no agri-food, no services, well, it's even more fictional to believe that that very shallow trade deal could replace the depth of trade we have with the EU, right? Which is actually a more important question than, are you going to sell off our NHS? I completely get, for the reasons mm. I said in part one, why um, why the Labour Party does not want to have a detailed conversation about Brexit. But in an odd way, this did feel like this mm. classic thing of like us being like, Labour have made a claim, Conservatives have made a counterclaim, not even which one is true, in a kind of like, you know, like essentially like, there you go, these claims exist. But actually, like, the Labour's claim is false is significant but but actually the important policy question does not change because that inevitably mm. leads you to a, an economic relationship with the eu with a high level of economic alignment which yeah. like was the choice theresa may made and if you look at the tory manifesto you know there was stuff in there about you know basically not saying using the toxic phrase level playing field but essentially saying that points you in the same direction and just to pick up on the thing you said about political theater i actually think this was a more effective gambit when corbyn held up the redacted mm. pages and said, oh, it's this stuff is so mm. spicy they don't want you to see it. And uh, now you've got, you know, 500 pages of incredibly dry but nonetheless existent prose that you can pour over and analyse for what it is. No one was ever going to read it anyway. No one's going to read the 500 pages anyway apart from 
the rebuttal unit in CCHQ who can say it doesn't say that. And also, like, it reminds me in terms of political theatre of when Cameron used to get uh, the note Liam Byrne left for David Laws, his successor as Chief Secretary to the Treasury in 2015, say, even Labour said there were no money left, right? It wouldn't be more effective if you then got out the accounts or like the treasury, <laughs> like the treasury briefing paper that was prepared for David Lord because it would say there there was money left. You know, it would totally yeah. undermine the actual yeah. point in the message. So like to have the full, you know, the full menu of uh, of exploratory trade talks, I almost think makes it a weak, weaker political theatre because mm. that is a really powerful visual point, the, re- the redacted in a way that say, hey, look at all this gear. Get your teeth around that, guys. I just, for, especially if you're dealing with, you know, low information, low information electorate, and mm. frankly, a low information media. Mm. What it has allowed mm. Labour to do is to bring the election conversation back to the NHS because I feel like that drifted. Um, so at the beginning yeah. of the election campaign, I, I remember being on a couple of political programmes where the inevitable point of discussion was a debate about the NHS about what's happened to it because of austerity, um, about, you know, fears of the the flu that could come this winter, but also about privatisation and this, you mm-hmm. know, looming sort of Donald Trump gobbles up all of your drugs thing. But they've, they've lost, I think they lost that kind of line of argument and it's drifted, and especially with Jeremy Corbyn's sort of appearance on Question Time and also in, in front of an interview with Andrew Neil, which which really steered the conversation back to the problems in his own party. I think mm. they've managed to make the conversation about the NHS again and sort of, you know, having covered other elections, that's usually to Labour's benefit just because Labour yeah. trusts them more with the NHS in general. Well, this is actually something I was wondering, you know, whether they had always planned this press conference for today or if this was their sort of like red button emergency strategy for the morning after a really disastrous campaign moment because it seemed, you know, like quite good timing. I mean, if they hadn't done this press conference today, we'd probably be talking about Labour mm. anti-Semitism as the thing that had dominated. When was and the operation been- notice for for this speech. Yes, yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I was speaking to someone on the uh, on the Labour left this morning who said much the same thing. They said, I fear that we have overreacted to a bad news day and are using our are dropping our best gear with too long to go. They yeah. said, Why did mm. why we could have given this yeah. another week? Yeah, I, I don't know. So I mean where was where was the venue? Central um, London. Church House in Westminster. We're not we don't have to say Central London once it's happened, because you only have to say Central London in case some random bloke turns up like, you know <laughs> uh, yeah, like the random bloke can turn up at Church House as much as he wants now, they ain't going back. But um <laughs> So, I mean, this thing is like, it's quite difficult to just rock up and book Church House yeah. unexpectedly. I mean, I do think it is, yeah, it's interesting because also right, we shouldn't forget the election is happening now, right? Mm-hmm. People are already voting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they've yeah. got their postal ballots through. So now is the time to drop drop your big gear. I also think, you know, yes, because I had a similar conversation that with a similar, yeah, kind of, you know, um, MP slash candidate on the left of the party. But I think like, the important thing to remember is the leadership doesn't think it has questions to answer on anti-semitism mm. so i just don't think that they do approach it in the same way as going oh this has happened move the topic away yeah. whereas lots of people who are kind of like who you know one would think of as corbynites who are kind of leadership adjacent do think that way yeah. but that is like crucially the difference between all of those people and lotto itself yeah it's it's your point about it weakening the theater to actually have the document is uh it did feel to me a classic example as someone who was you know reading the pdf at home rather than having been handed the copy and the thing will be an example of one of those things where i think the problem of the theater was actually like the more you walk people through a document the more likely they are to cover it the way you want it and i think anusha's right it does bring it onto the nhs which 
yeah, all of the evidence, right, is in if it's an election about Brexit, the Tories win. If it's an election not about Brexit, then you end up with another hung parliament. Will that happen this time? I also think I don't know whose mind this kind of thing is going to change. I've met a lot of undecided voters, so mm. in theory... Things like this should be swaying people's opinion. But I don't know about you, but the people that I've met, just people feel very, very wise to sort of politicking. I feel like the electorate aren't, you know, obviously we know the electorate aren't stupid, but I feel like in particular in this election, they're not buying some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it is just that that big question of whether you feel in your gut like Mm. the Conservatives would make a trade deal like this. And actually kind of because of the... I think I'm going to disagree with the group on this one that like I agree with Stephen's working basically that it wouldn't be a comprehensive big like hugely transformative trade deal with the US unless these things were on the table and that's kind of why I think they might go for it I'm also and I just think I mean whether that's true or not it's whether people think oh I think they might do that obviously you know things are going to change they're going to sell off these bits we're going to have chlorinated chicken and you know even just from conversations with civil servants, I mean, it's hard to know, you know, how much they actually know about the policy area they're talking about sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, I have, spo- I have just spoken to quite a few who are like, obviously, you know, our, like, our drugs trade has to be on the table. Like, that, that's just obvious. And I think it's when I hear it from people like that who don't have skin in the game, mm. then I start to think, obviously, that will be on the table. I mean, as you say, it could be politically toxic, but it depends on how it's... But I think sold because I mean if if you know if the the bulk of the NHS hasn't been privatized maybe you can win that argument if it's just you know opening certain parts to competition or changing uh, you know rules around patents maybe it wouldn't trickle down in that way so I think I mean because yeah the slightly wild thing about this whole debate right is US companies and indeed European companies bid to run NHS services all of the time. Yeah. The actual policy lever being proposed would not change the NHS. It's just mm-hmm. that voters hear the word American near the world healthcare and they think, you know, well, we've all seen that episode of Scrubs where they go, oh, unfortunately, this lovely mother played by like some big name 90s celebrity has no medical insurance or oh we've all seen that episode of house where he's like you didn't tell me about the insurance <laughs> that was Hugh Laurie, guys uh, anyone who disagrees can shut up yeah like, we, i think the fear of the word american is so strong yeah. yeah but i think the thing is right is ultimately you can you can go well of course they'd have to because the economic trade-off of leaving the customs unions you have mm. to do it you can go they wouldn't do it which would mean we'd end up in a really bad economic position the thing is right is those are the only possible real world conclusions you can take you either believe them in which case we're heading towards a yeah towards severe economic decline or you don't believe them in which case the nhs will be part of a us uk trade deal neither of those are particularly good however because the argument is labor truth yes or no i don't think the debate gets to that position You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, my colleague Anusha Kellyan, and we were joined this week by Alva Ray, Patrick Maguire and George Grills. It's produced by Nick Hilton and recorded by Emily Bootle. Our music is still Devil by the Devil. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, we're all at the Cambridge Literature Festival on the evening of the 30th of November. Tickets are available. Just search Cambridge Literature Festival New Statesman podcast. Come and say hi. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.